Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Podcast. This is Terry Cowley, Associate Editor of RM Williams Outback Magazine. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the podcast. I thought it fitting to bring the editor-in-chief of Outback Magazine immediately into the fray. His name is Mark Muller. He's a bit of a Johnny-come-lately, having been at the magazine for just 20 of its 25 years. Hello, Mark. G'day, Terry. You've just put out the 149th issue of the magazine. Yes, indeed we have. And one of the beautiful things about it that keeps me keeps me interested after 20 years is the fact that, of course, no two magazines are the same. So we're always looking at different stories, always going to different places and have people all over the country feeding us ideas and, and then we get to we get to chase them up and follow them up and put it into a magazine, which I like doing a lot. What do you think are some of the highlights of the current issue? We always have an Outback story in every issue, which is the big story. So one of the highlights across the board for me is the fact that we can still run a story across 20-something pages and, and run five or six or 7,000 words in this issue, it's it's on the internet in the bush, which might be sort of counterintuitive given that we're working in a printed space, but the internet is absolutely vital to the way that we produce the magazine. It's absolutely vital, of course, to the people who read the magazine um, and to all of our listeners today. You know, if we don't have that kind of connectivity, we really do become disconnected. And so the story explores that space, whether it's education or philanthropy or agriculture or health services through internet technology. It's all it's all emerging. It's all evolving. The world's a far smaller place than it once was. And that's in no small part due to the fact that we have, have internet technology available to us. One of the other things you mentioned in your editor's letter was a nice personal connection to the story on the Canago Hotel. I've got personal connections with a few pubs around the bush, I've got to say, Terry. Um, and the Canago Hotel was one of them. It burnt down a few years years ago and, and saddened a great number of people, I'm sure. When I was heading towards my first journalism job in Orange in central western New South Wales from my hometown of Panola in the southeast of South Australia, I'd heard about the Canago pub for years. So this is like back in 1994 or something. And drove past it thinking, well, it'd be rude not to just, not to pull in at least have a look because I'd seen this, you know, Canago hotel stickers all over the place through school and university and whatnot. Went there to have a quick look and, and a quick look turned into, into quite a long, slow look. I bumped into a fellow there who, uh, who I'd gone to gone to school with and hadn't seen in years and, and then workers from the surrounding stations were pulling in. It must have been a Friday or a Saturday or something like that but you know the crowd got thicker and thicker and the fun got funner and funner and I ended up camping the night at the Canago Hotel. I didn't have a swag with me. I just had boxes and, and bags and amongst that was a Persian rug that I've been dragging around for a number of years as well and so I ended up rolling myself into the rug of the car park next to the car outside the front of the Canago Hotel. Classy man. Well you know we were, it's, it's since been done up not only done up by you know people who who love the place, but people are connected to the place. So the brothers whose father used to be the publican there and they still own the place. And so we've got a got a, got a story on, on that in the latest issue of the magazine, yes. Of course, we've got a lovely cover that springs from the station story, Mulgathing. Part of the Jumbuck Pastorals group, young Rosie Mahoney on the front cover. Um, she's the overseer on Mulgathing Station, 22, 23 years old. It's this lovely warm cover. Rosie's wearing a, a yellow shirt covered in flower blossoms and a pair of old jeans covered in dirt and a 
Mara Williams belt and a pair of Ariat boots by the looks of it. But she's just propped up inside an old shed there and there's a, a plastic box to one side with some rags hanging out of it and she's leaned up against a, an oil drum and, and there's this lovely soft light coming through the windows and also under the eaves of the corrugated iron roof. And so there's this lovely soft orange light and it's so beautifully authentic. There's, you know, there's, there's radiator wheels hanging off the back wall and whatnot. And I was thinking when we were looking at it that, you know, you can, you can get set decorators and, and, and art directors and, and, and a team of people to come in and, and work forever to, to fake something like this up. But what's happened, of course, is that Andrew Hull, our, our writer and, and contributor, photographer who put this together, just saw it and photographed it and it's real and it's there and the, the strength and warmth and, and joy of, of the space and place just washes out of the out of the photo, which is why we put it on the front cover. But we don't set up covers, you know. We don't we don't get makeup artists in and set things up in studios with lights and, and all that sort of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, most magazines would do that. And the cover for us at Outback Magazine is a really organic thing. Like we know when we're looking at all these gorgeous photos from around Australia that, oh, that might make a cover, or that might make a cover. And we certainly have photographers out there who are shooting with a cover in mind, but. It's for us about having a cover which was going to appeal to people on a news agency stand, of course, but also best represents that sense of authenticity and integrity and strength and joy that informs our own editorial space, you know, irrespective of what we're writing about in the magazine, whether it's somebody carving eggs out of wood or people making saddles or someone running a caravan park over in the west coast of the Air Peninsula or you know, scientists working with purple-headed fairy wrens in the top end. Like It's about that sense of reality and veracity and sharing stories that have that strength of character and place that underpins the best of what it is to be living in rural and regional, remote Australia in this very day as we speak. Well, we can't do justice to all the stories here. In fact, we don't want to because we want people to buy the magazine. But before I move on from the current issue, probably should just mention the Greater Litchfield Loop that I had the pleasure of covering. So that is sort of a, a southerly loop out of Darwin, which myself and colleague Peter Papp were able to do. And I had been concerned just recently hearing that the season up there wasn't taking off. But I've since learned that from Northern Territory Tourism, they're telling me that there's a bit of a correction happening after a bumper year last year. So hopefully people will still get behind domestic tourism this winter season and we will see them doing things like this greater Litchfield loop that we have profiled. Yeah, it's a great story. I mean, the fact is there that there's so many beautiful things to do. You and Pete had planned that for pre-COVID that it was all sort of lined up and you were going to do that little run out of Darwin and it got put aside because of COVID and you finally managed to, to get it done. What, what was a highlight for you apart from actually getting back up into the top end? Wasn't it the fact that because of the time of year, it wasn't actually that busy. And whilst access was limited to some of the places that might traditionally draw people, the fact that there weren't so many people around was a real was a real plus for you, huh? Absolutely. I think that the fact that there were very few people in some places was definitely you know, definitely offset the fact that it was still reasonably early in the season and still a fair bit of water about, so th- some things were inaccessible. But to go to Wongai Falls in Litchfield National Park on sunset and to be the only people there, of course we couldn't swim because there were probably some crocodiles in the water, but yeah, that's the payoff, I guess. I'd hesitate to pick out one part of the Greater Litchfield Loop as a highlight because I think that was one of the points of the story is that there's just so much there and generally in the past people have seen Litchfield National Park as this sort of quick day trip out of Darwin but there's this whole region there we're talking about Adelaide River talking about 
Dundee Beach. Yeah, there's a lot to see there and hopefully people do take our advice, perhaps go a little earlier in the season and stay a bit longer. Before I move off the current issue, Mark, I should mention that I said at the outset that you had been at Outback 20 years and there's a, there's a before and an after picture of you in the current magazine. We've got this lovely letter from a couple, was it Annette Krauss in Germany? who were congratulating us on, on, on 20, or nearly 25 years of the magazine and 20 years of me um, doing this job, which is kind of them. Also, note that they had nice things to say about our colleague Andrea Wallace, who runs the subscription side of the department. And I mentioned this to Andrea the other day when she was in there. She said, oh, they're lovely. They're always so nice to deal with when they ring up and order their subscription again. But, yeah, it's like that. You know, 20 years has gone by in the blink of an eye. But it also feels like a long time at times. Uh, one of the things that I love most about it, as I said at the beginning, is that there are just so many stories. There are so many interesting people doing so many interesting things across what is a beautiful country. And listening to you talk about that little Litchfield loop, you know, people sometimes think that because Australia is so big that you have to travel for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and years and you'll never get to see anything and, or certainly never get to see everything. And that's kind of true, but it's also not true. Like you can, you don't have to go far to see a lot. And the Litchfield Loop's a beautiful example of that. And any number of other places in Australia are exactly like that if we're just thinking about travelling. You, know, you don't have to you don't have to loop far, Gippsland, for example, to see an amazing variety of country, whether it's the mountains um, or the coastal space or uh, that lovely lakes district through Gippsland or you, know, you were recently up on Fraser Island weren't you and it's a big island but it's a small kind of place I mean you can not have to go too far and I think I guess that's one of the things that I also like doing with the work is going to one spot and having a good look around a small space doesn't mean that I'm opposed to loping across vast distances when 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 it's called for but there's a lot to be seen just in your immediate surrounds if you decide to look well, looking to the future, Mark, you're preparing the 150th issue and we'll, we'll talk about that perhaps in a later podcast. But the other exciting thing on the horizon is the publication of Stations Magazine and you have just been out covering two of the 10 stations. So you covered Jubilee Downs in the Kimberley and you covered iconic Wave Hill Station in the Victoria River District. How was that experience? Challenging and rewarding and and, and thought-provoking and inspiring, as these things always are. Stations Magazine itself, we've been doing it for, gosh, we might have done six of them by now. We do one every two years. Station, There's always a station story in Outback Magazine, and it's a really popular section of the magazine. So, of course, we thought, well, let's um, devote an entire magazine to stations, and, and so we did. And it gives us the opportunity to give more space to these stories. So Jubilee and Wave Hill are different places um, in terms of geography, very similar places in terms of the spirit being brought to bear on their operation. That is uh, this sense of stewardship of the land, of working in a small community, of having a strong and informed work ethic and having a lot of young people working together under the guidance of some wiser, more experienced people to look after country, to look after livestock and to produce protein, you know, to grow good cows that uh, end up helping feed the world. And... I really liked that sense of, of strength and independence, but also community that is the part of the very best of these pastoral operations. So Stations magazine will be available from from us and in newsagents soon and for some time. And of course, Outback will as well. And in R.M. Williams stores. 
you know, if you are in Williams stores and stockers, um, we'll also have these magazines available. Well, we might wrap it up there, Mark, okay. because we could talk all day. We do, often. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst you're in Shepparton and I'm based here up in Sydney for most of the time, we, uh, we do get to, do get to chit-chat. It's funny, you, you accuse me of, of talking to you less when you're actually in town on deadline than we do in the normal course of our working lives when we get to get to get to natter on the phone quite a bit more often. I guess when you're physically apart you have to make that attempt, don't you? I guess yeah. that's coming full circle right back to what we started talking about, Mark, about connectivity and how important it is. Absolutely vital. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Mark. I'm Terry Cowley. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>